From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, Nathan Anand on pitfalls in the diagnosis of glaucoma and Sri Ganesh on visco chop. Once you take large discs, the OCT is practic- if you use a normative database of the OCTs, it is practically useless. First this. If time and money were no object, you'd probably go to a lot of meetings. Not just ASCRS, but ESCRS, APACRS, AAO, Hawaiian Eye, and Winter Update, and you'd learn a ton. But money is an issue, and time an even bigger one. That's why I go to all of those meetings for you. Speak with the presenters you'd like best, and get them to distill their talks down to just a few minutes. You can see all of these interviews at no cost at the iWorld Replay website. Just go to ewreplay.org, E-W-R-E-P-L-A-Y.org, and enjoy. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the annual meeting of the Asia-Pacific Association of Cataract and Refractive Surgeons in Jaipur, India. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorld Replay website as brief videos. I'm going to present these interviews in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today, we'll hear from Nitin Anand on pitfalls in the diagnosis of glaucoma and Sri Ganesh on femto-visco-chop. All of the interviews were fantastically interesting to me. I hope that you enjoy them as much as I did. I'm here with Nitin Anand. Nitin, you, you, you gave a very, very interesting talk today. We, we have a lot of relatively new parameters for following patients with glaucoma and even establishing the diagnosis, you make a really interesting point rather than, than my saying it. Let, let me ask you uh, what, your, uh, what your thesis was in your talk today. Uh, yeah, thank you, for, uh, Josh, for asking me that. Um, the point I was trying to make was that there is no single test you can use to diagnose glaucoma. Uh, as glaucoma experts, we look at the optic disc and make a judgment regarding glaucoma. But very often, even we can get it wrong. And as you know, there's a lot of uh, disagreement between experts. And this is especially true when you come to discs which are out of the ordinary, larger discs, tilted discs. Uh, and some, sometimes the only way you can make a diagnosis is by uh, looking at all the tests uh, together. And sometimes, even that may not work sometimes. The only way you can actually establish a diagnosis is by d- documenting change. Right, uh, by uh, showing. So, but le- le- let me play devil's sure. advocate here. So, uh, if, the, if I have a, a single parameter, um, you know, retinal nerve fiber layer testing, sure. um, and that, that's the only thing that, that I'm following, but that demonstrates progression over time, surely I can use that uh, as, uh, uh, as the linchpin to establish di- uh, diagnosis. Okay, um, I'll, I'll sort of just step back a bit and talk sure. of, let's take a single test. Now, for example, if you're doing a disk analysis, you look at the isn't rule, or you, know, you look at sure. this asymmetry. Now, uh, you know, we've been taught in the textbooks that these are signs indicative of glaucoma. But in themselves, they actually have 
uh, a very high false positive rate. Ah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, and I think one of the problems with uh, medicine as such and ophthalmologists, uh, in fact, all of us, is uh, we are not aware of the base rate fallacy that glaucoma is a rare disease. Uh, so you have one, say, one to three percent of the population having, uh, you know, who eventually get glaucoma. Uh, we take a test which, for example, isn't true, which will be seen in about 60 percent of patients with glaucoma and about 20% of normal individuals. But we forget that 20% of 97% is a lot more than 60% of 3%. Right, and this is what you mean by, uh, by, the, by the base, base rate fallacy. fallacy. Yeah. And so we are, what we're doing is we're ignoring uh, generalized data for specific data. And so what happens is uh, a lot of general ophthalmologists will see a patient with a large cup, with a large cup disc ratio, with asymmetry between the two sides, and then assume, and a pressure of high normal, and a patient who cannot do fields properly, who has, you know, fields which fluctuate sure. and diagnose glaucoma. Then they will do a OCT on top of that. The OCT will also show the same uh, thing that the patient has nerve fiber layer thinning compared to the normative database. Right. Uh, so herein comes lies the problem. There is no such thing as normal when you come to diagnose glaucoma. So, so the only way you can sort of confirm sometimes is by um, putting all the findings together and then, for example, in a tilted disc, you can also get very typical signs in a tilted myope. You can get typical signs of glaucoma with no progression. Right. So finally, that is the uh, eventual answer. So it's a very difficult disease to diagnose quite often if you don't have the typical findings. You know, for example, if you, don't, if you can't see a nerve fiber layer defect, if you can't see notching, uh, you can still have glaucoma. But it, it can sometimes be a very difficult so diagnosis. Then, let, let, let me, but let it's me easy ask you. to overdiagnose it simply because of the, the features which you see in a lot of glaucoma patients are also seen sure. in normal people. Yeah. Well, look, let, 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 me, let me ask you something then in, in, very, in very practical terms. I, I have much more confidence determining the, the, the therapeutic and diagnostic pathway and the follow-up that I want to take with a patient than I have in the diagnosis. So... You know, given that, um, that, that there is the, the, the base rate fallacy, uh, I read Daniel Kahneman's book, I understand. Oh, yes, uh, I would recommend that book uh, to yeah, everyone. Thinking Fast yeah, and Slow, yeah. it's a wonderful yes. book. Yeah. Um, uh, give, given that, but given that, you know, I, 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 there are findings that raise my suspicion to the extent that I want to increase the frequency of follow-up, at least for sure. the for the patient, how do I draw that line? The um, <laughs> I, 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 let's say you, you you've got a patient who you think is has may have glaucoma. If the pressure is not high, I would withhold treatment. I would follow them up. You know, depending on you know, I would say that. I mean, this is where there's uh, there's a controversy whether you should see them frequently, have lots of tests. Uh, or whether you should see them every six months. Uh, data is emerging from the UK glaucoma trial that you're probably, it's good to do a few fields close together, then leave a gap for a year, and then see them again. So, but that's interesting. Yeah, yeah so, so this is one of the sort of new things. So do a lot of tests, do, do a few imaging, do a few OCTs, a few fields within about three months, leave things for a year, and then check again. Yeah, you know, because of the natural fluctuation you get between tests. So, yeah, I think it, that's, that, so that's, that's one uh, way of... This is a sort of a relatively new concept, but it's coming from a, a, a study which is just being published and accepted in the, in the Lancet, the UK Glaucoma Treatment Trial. The first trial, which, has, uh, which, which was a, a, a triple-blind... Uh, randomized control trial on treatment of glaucoma. 
right. We're triple blind in uh, what sense? In the sense that no one knew. Um, the, uh, we were, the investigators, uh, the patient, uh, and the, uh, the, the study, uh, the study coordinators, no one knew who was on treatment. Oh, interesting. So this is it's, uh, the the baseline characters have already been published, but the 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 data has just been accepted for being published in the Lancet. So so that's the, one of the things from that trial was that uh, is they they have been able to detect protection uh, progression within a year. Really. So, uh, but that by, by using this strategy. Oh, that's so interesting, interesting stuff. Well, you know, what, yeah. what, and and of course, they, I mean, people can say, look, what, what does it matter um, whether we establish the diagnosis or not? Since you know, since I'm, this is this is what what I'm what I'm going to do. But the thing is, is that if you if you institute therapy, then you need to have some therapeutic endpoint. And if you've misdiagnosed someone, then 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 you're then you're not going to get there. And there are also people who get condemned to treatment for years. And right. also look at the psychological effect of making the incorrect diagnosis uh, you know you you condemn someone to side effects of medication for years on if you don't get the diagnosis right so I my f personal philosophy is I never start treatment till I'm sure uh, and like I said there's so much overlap there's another very interesting um, uh, fallacy which comes from our uh, diagnostic tests now when you see OCTs uh, the the normative databases and the studies which show that yes you know they have good sensitivity and specificity remember they're, con they're, they're actually testing uh, normals to patients with glaucoma what they're not doing is they're not testing between people who have who are, sus who are glaucoma suspects to those who have glaucoma so, the, it's, so here's another fallacy which gets in, in, uh, introduced in. So there's a paper in the IOBS last year by Rao et al. And they've shown that once you take large discs, the OCT is practically, if you use a normative database of the OCTs, it is practically useless uh, to help you to, you know, in aiding Right, in no, the no, no, I understand what you're saying. So, so, so here's another uh, problem. And unfortunately, these are things which uh, manufacturers and, uh, in fact, put it this way, most ophthalmo ophthalmologists don't understand. So, you know, we, we almost all the tests we have, we have a control group which is perfectly healthy and then, uh, you know, then you, they're compared against people who have the disease, but they never have tests comparing suspects with the disease. Right. No, 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 I understand. Yeah. I understand. That's a so, great point. Yeah. That's a really great, great point. Look, this, this is really super practical stuff and I'm delighted that you've come here and that you've shared this. Nitin, thank you very much for being so generous with your time with us today. Thank you very much. I'm here with Sri Ganesh. Sri, I'm delighted to speak with you. You know, you just had this performance that everyone is talking about. What I'm talking about, obviously, is the live surgery. Now, I'd like you to talk me through it since, as I say, everyone else is talking about it with special attention to visco chop, I want to know what visco chop is and how I'm going to do it on the next case. Uh, as technology progresses and changes, we also need to change techniques because there are a lot of advantages of the new technology, the femtosecond uh, uh, laser, which actually divides the cataract and does the nucleotomy, but it does the nucleotomy up to 80% of the cataract and the posterior 500 to 700 microns is still attached. Now most of the surgeons use a second instrument through a side port and separate the fragments. But what I do is I don't use a side port through the main incision. I use viscoelastic as a tool to separate these fragments. The viscoelastic I use is methyl cellulose, so the shear is quite high and this kind of separates the fragments in a very gentle manner without any stress on the bag or on the zonules 
and you don't have to use your second instrument. So this is a technique which I call Visco Chop and it works very well for uh, softer cataracts up till grade 2, 2 plus uh, cataracts. I, I can see how it, it, it would be of special benefit because what, what I found when I started doing Femto was that granted the, the grooves were very, very deep, beautiful depth. But the grooves are very narrow, and sometimes it's hard just getting the instruments that I'm used to using to 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 chop it. Certainly, there's no room to put a fico tip down down there. So, what do you do? You're 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 putting the the cannula very deep and inflating from posterior. Yes. So what I do is I go in with a cannula into the groove, go in deep, more than 50 percent, and then inject viscoelastic. Because of the hydraulic uh, force, the the nuclear fragments are actually split and you can get a through and through crack then you rotate and again do the same things for the other same thing for the other quadrants and the other advantage is with softer cataracts actually it's difficult to do a nucleotomy because uh, the instruments just cheese wire yeah and then you're not able to get a good separation with this technique you don't have that problem and it's it's very fast it's gentle and it's very smooth and you have four uh, fragments which are free which can be easily uh, evacuated it's very very clever stuff um, and then uh, when, 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 you're, when you're doing this, how, how, how much, I mean, I, I know what the answer is to this question. I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, how much FACO energy did, did you use for, for, for this lens? In, in this uh, case, it was like a grade 2 cataract, so uh -huh. I did not use any FACO energy. I used a very high flow rate in vacuum. I used a flow rate of 60 and uh, vacuum of 650, so the whole thing just got evacuated. You don't need a second instrument to even stuff the uh, nuclear fragments because of the uh, softening software which is there, the grid pattern, actually it softens the nucleus uh, so it, the fragments actually mold and then just get aspirated through your FACO tip very easily without a second instrument. So you can just do it with, with just flow rate and vacuum without uh, using any FACO energy. So uh, talk me through the, the procedure if you don't mind. So what I do is uh, first while uh, putting my um, details into the, the demographics and the, uh, the pattern on the femtosecond laser, I just put in the main incision and uh, no side port. If I have to do arcuate uh, incisions, then I put that in. And then once this is done, when we move the patient on under the operating microscope, open the main incisions. And once I open the main incisions, usually with the catalyst, you have nearly 100% of the times you have a free-floating capsulotomy. So I just go in there uh, with a visco and the capsule floats. Then I go deeper into the groove, more than 50% depth. With the But the, it's very important to use uh, methyl cellulose because with uh, sodium halonate, it doesn't really uh, work that well. With methyl cellulose, the shear is much better. And then because it's a very viscous substance, so once I inject into the groove, then I clearly see a separation and I can see up to the posterior capsule that the fragments have completely separated. And then I rotate the nucleus through 90 degrees and then again inject into the other grooves. And then I get a complete separation of the four uh, segments. And then after this, I go in with my FACO probe and then just using high flow and vacuum, I'm able to evacuate the and the fragments very easily. Now, the, the, since, since your technique makes it so easy to generate these nice through and uh, through cracks, do you always use quadrants or do you sometimes use sextants with these lenses? You can use uh, sextants, but uh, if it's a softer ca uh, cataract, then the quadrants are adequate. 
Mm -hmm. uh, so it takes less time to do the procedure because you already have the quadrant softened. So it's very easy to evacuate the, the quadrant. Yeah, Sri, this is very clever stuff. I mean, look, I mean, everyone says, and it's certainly true, that the the equipment comes first and the techniques to maximize their benefit come, come second. And I think they, that you're showing us that they're starting to uh, uh, come, come along now. Yes, we need newer techniques to take advantage of the technology. Yeah and uh, use it to its maximum benefit. This is just great stuff. Shreya, I want to thank you for, for presenting this and for being so generous with your time with us today. Thank you so much. Nitin Anand is an ophthalmologist at the Winfield Hospital in Gloucester, UK. Shri Ganesh is chairman and managing director of Nathradama Hospital in Bangalore, India. Ask questions of Dr. Anand, Dr. Ganesh, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.